This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome, dear listeners, to a podcast that will transport you to a world of magic, mystery, and endless wonder. Join us as we step through the Griffin Door, your one-way ticket to the enchanting universe of Harry Potter. I'm your host, Jonathan Carlin, and I'm thrilled to be guiding you on the spellbinding journey, chapter by chapter, through the pages of the Wizarding World. But I won't be alone on this adventure. I've brought along my brother, Ben, together with... We're known as the Super Carlin Brothers over on YouTube. We'll be delving into the captivating world of Harry Potter, exploring the characters, unraveling the mysteries, and discussing all of the hidden gems that make this series a timeless masterpiece. In case you don't know us, we've both spent the last 11 years combing through this story, writing fan theories, filling in plot holes, hunting for hidden connections, and just living and breathing Harry Potter. But you may be surprised to learn that in that time, neither of us has actually read through a hard copy of the book. We use them as references, of course, and the ebooks are valuable tools for our research, but we do almost all of our reading via audio. Audiobook. Yeah, so part of why I'm so excited for this podcast is the fact that we are reading a hard copy of the book. We both got a brand new one. I'm already a few chapters in. I can tell you there is hardly a page I have not made notes on. Like, I cannot believe how many little details keep popping out at me, and I cannot wait to just dive into all of them. Yeah, so whether you're a lifelong fan of the series or a newcomer discovering Hogwarts for the very first time, Through the Gryffindor aims to be a podcast filled with laughter, insights, and of course, endless Potter love. So grab your wands, dust off your broomsticks, and join us as we unlock the secrets behind the Griffin door. Let us begin our journey with the Philosopher's Stone, Chapter 1, The Boy Who Lived. Oh man, I got chills a little bit. Oh, I know. I'm like so. I was like a little bit nervous going through all that. Like we're we're really starting. I feel like we've been talking about it forever, and now we're like actually sitting down recording the show. We're doing the thing. I know it's been it's been nervous excitement all day, which which I think has been um, it's been really wonderful actually because I, you know there are, there are so many occasions in life where I'm where I'm. Um, I have apprehension or, yeah. or like, or like anxiety based nerves. Mm-hmm. And, and this has been like, like all day I've sort of like, like I've known, it's almost like, like anticipation for, uh, like, like Christmas morning or something like that. Like, it's like, oh my gosh, like it's, it's actually happening. Today is the day. Um, so I'm, I'm just so, I'm so excited to, to begin. I know. Yeah. We've been, if you're, if you're watching us on YouTube, yeah, we've been, we've been building the set around us for the past couple of weeks. It's been really fun having the little pieces arrive and like, uh, finishing it out. And like, we just got all the lighting situated this morning. We, we recorded everything, got a little test runs in and, uh, now, and I know you were, you were just reading the first chapter just before we sat down to record yeah making yeah. notes yeah you know honestly i know that you've you've been uh you've been 
ahead of me really like and, and kind of delving into the story a bit further in advance than I have been. And um, I think I think like I've almost in the same vein, I've almost been like like wanting to to hold on to diving into it for the first time properly and, and yeah. like walking into episode one just as fresh as seemingly possible. So I've literally I have I have both read the chapter uh, and have re-listened to it two times. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so you've really done a lot of the boy who lived today. Yeah. So I've spent some time with the boy who lived and and honestly, like, I can't even tell you, like, uh, it, it almost makes me emotional to talk about it in the first place. Like, just like those those words put together, the boy who lived, um, are just so vital and important. And like, you know, we we talked about it a little bit in episode zero, but like, I can just so uh, firmly go back to our childhood where um, me and you and our younger brother, Tyler, were all sort of like laid out on our parents' bed and our dad like cracked the book open and started reading this story to us for, you know, the very, very first time. I know. Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I can I can still remember it. us just sitting there and like wondering about like who did it, like who's trying to steal the stone, who's working with Voldemort. And it was like a really drawn out process because like um, our, we would get like two chapters a week, like one on Saturday night and one on Sunday night. And, exactly. And then yep. we'd have to come back next week to find out what happened. And, you know, maybe if it was a really short chapter, we'd get a little extra one. But our dad was really good about it. He's like a he's a professional newscaster. So he has like a very good delivery while reading and could do like some voices here and there. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, absolutely. So, I mean, it was it was really just like a, a really joyous occasion, something that like um, and, and more than anything else, I would say it was like the thing like like the series in general is like what unlocked reading for me as a young kid. Like, yeah. I, like I almost felt like I had, it had been reinforced to me that like reading was something that you were supposed to be aversive to, you know, like, right. like, like it's always just homework. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It was like, it was never supposed to be like the fun thing that you got to do. I know. And, and, and I remember, yeah, obviously eventually I would like literally carry all of the books with me to school in my backpack. Well, so, you never knew if you might want to read all seven books one day. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Just in case, just in case you, you cracked through it. So I know I do remember sometimes like uh, in order to avoid doing homework, I would just read Harry Potter because in my mind I was like well I'm reading so it's not like I'm doing something like you know um uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not like breaking the rules or anything. I can't. My no one could scold me for reading. It's like, what are you surely. doing up here? Reading books? Yeah. No, <laughs> no sir. So stop reading and do your homework. Like, see that does, that sentence doesn't make sense, does it? Right. Right. Yeah. No. Of course not. So um, anyway, yeah. obviously um, we we have a, a deep love for this story, for these characters, and especially uh, and most importantly, the boy who lived. The so. boy who lived. Yeah. So we've been trying to figure out exactly how we wanted to go through chapter by chapter here. Uh, like, and I think. You know, there were there were times we thought maybe we'd have like uh, this is a section for short for foreshadowing. This is a section for characters introduced, and this will be a section for that. And like as as I tried to like lay those out and like list them as we read through, it was like it was complicated because so many things were so many at, like countered to so many things or were Easter eggs. So and as I was going, it was like maybe maybe the best way to do it is just literally almost go page by page because there's not a page that I did not write on for things that like stood out to me in the book. So um I think maybe we can start we, maybe we can start each chapter kind of give like I think it would be fun also to review the artwork for each chapter because it's also kind of a little iconic. Oh it absolutely um, is yeah. so yeah we'll just give a little a breakdown of what happens in the very first chapter here as we enter the wizarding world. I can tell you that when I first the first time I heard it I had no idea what it was about at all like I didn't know magic was going to happen like when we eventually learned that Harry's a wizard I remember being floored by that despite the fact that wizards show up in the first chapter here oh. and do magic like it didn't occur 
wizard. Like, I don't think they use the word wizard until Hagrid tells him he's a wizard, even though people are clearly doing unusual things. Oh, yeah. No, and it, it's even really fascinating on the whole that the, the story itself, you know, like, because I know coming into uh, and discovering Harry Potter, like, I remember finding the book in our house for the first time uh, and picking it up and being like, I don't really think I'm into... Um, magicians and sorcerers and, you know, things like that. Because, of course, you know, in the, the American copy was called the Sorcerer's Stone. And for the most part, almost nobody uh, shy of the the stone for which the sorcerer name comes from is ever referred to pretty much as a sorcerer. I think there's, there's right. maybe one occasion where, where Dumbledore might be referred to as, like, the greater Yeah, greatest the greatest sorcerer. sorcerer in the world or something. They have, like, maybe it's, like, one of those titles, the Ministry hands out right like right. Gilderoy Lockhart has later on yeah of course of course yeah. Sorcerer um, Supreme no that's that's Doctor Strange <laughs> <laughs> wrong fandom wrong fandom there you go <laughs> but yeah so um chapter one does does a lot of things it's a fairly unique chapter on the whole even within the realm of the Harry Potter saga even um like even in spite of the fact that it's the first chapter but it's it's one of the very few handful of chapters that is not told through the perspective um, of Harry. Of Harry. Yeah. Yeah. Not only that, it like, it is one of the, I, I didn't even, uh, or it's one of those things I've noticed every single time I read this chapter, but like the, uh, you, the reader are referenced yeah. in the first chapter, which is, um, fairly unusual as the story unfolds. It also like a lot of times when you watch like the pilot episode of a TV show, there's a lot of like things that like that maybe they thought the characters were going to be like, but then clearly as things have unfolded, like maybe the entire world and story hadn't been fleshed out yet. So like things change and there's a, I feel like there's a bunch of little examples of that, but at the same rate, there's a ton of examples of things that show up in like chapter one that go on to be incredibly important in like book seven. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Or like, yeah. Yep. So I mean, there's, I mean, there yep. is a lot of setup and there's a lot of like, mm, we tried something and it, it went, we went a different way. <laughs> right. Right. And and, and one of the most miraculous things to me, I think about it, is that like almost right out of the gate, you get this great big mystery as to like why was Harry attacked in the first place and why uh, was he capable of surviving that attack? Yep. Um, and you know those are things that kind of continue to be mysteries for for quite some time. But yeah. Um, anyway, so chapter one begins and we get the introduction to the uh, to the Dursleys, mm -hmm. who are of course just seemingly just the worst. The worst. <laughs> um, I I think like you know it's it's funny a little bit because as I as you read through it and you sort of like hear um, like how Mr. Dursley gets ready for work in the morning. Like, I think that there's a reference to the fact that he puts on like his most boring tie, which like is like one of those things where it's like uh, you, you can't help but feel the bias of, of the narrator in this capacity being like, well, certainly Mr. Dursley doesn't think it's the most boring tie in the world. Right. And, or but, else does he? And it's just like, he's going out of his way to be mundane. <laughs> well, and that's, and that's the question because you know, when, when, you read, um, you know, like as, as he's getting ready and you're sort of like, you know, getting like the lowdown on like, like who this family is and everything like, you know, even his departure from the house, um, like, you know, he goes and, and kisses his son goodbye and, you know, like, like Dudley's kind of throwing like a tantrum and he's like, oh, little tyke, you know, it's like, yeah. it's, it's like, this is one of those things where it's like, you can't really fault them for just being like, like non-magical. Like, you know, for the most part, like when you look at the Dursleys, at least, you know, for these first couple of pages, it's sort of like they are living their version of a happy life. You know, it's like, right. it's, it's okay if it's not the version that you prefer, but it's like on some level, I'm like, are we being overly harsh on them too quickly when it uh, seems mm. like they're, they just kind of like, you know, well, I think, I think even before Harry arrives, it's pretty clear that they're not like super great. Like, I mean, even like it, like, uh, 
Petunia is introduced as like constantly listening in on the neighbors. That's and true. like That's the true. way in which um, Vernon is like judging the people dressed on the street and stuff like that. Like just right away, uh, it, it seems like he. They're like they are very anti anything that is not regular. Yes, and, and not just like uncomfortable by it, but like actively going out of their way to like not like it or to to be bothered by it almost <laughs> right 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 yeah like like anything out of the ordinary yeah. is 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 seen in a in a negative light from them so I, i'm not here to 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 grandstand in and stand in defense of the dursleys or anything like that <laughs> but like you know i'm reading like that first chapter and, and him kissing you know dudley goodbye before he takes off uh for his day at work and i'm like that that is how i left my house this morning <laughs> you right know? like uh i did do that exact same thing before before i left uh sans the the little tight comment but um, otherwise, let's see here. Yeah, you do. You do get to um, Grunnings, where of course Mr. Dursley sells drills, and and I do think right away where you kind of get that feeling that maybe they're they're not the greatest. Is uh, the line specifically says he yelled at five different people, he made several important telephone calls, and shouted a bit more. He was in a very good mood until lunchtime, <laughs> and it's like it's like, it's like really like, just can't wait to get to work and start yelling at people. I know it's like this is this is like one of those things where in my mind I have no ability but to assume that anybody who shows up to work and has to use uh, yelling as like a means to get the job done. It is either by uh, absolute sheer necessity, like of the volume of the work environment, and yelling is just required to right. overtake what it, what the otherwise noise of a, a of a of a loud space could be. Right. Um. Or or this is somebody who is having their own like internal personal struggles that that like needs to resort to yelling to feel some measure of of control over the the circumstance that they're in it's it is an odd or foreign belief to me to imagine a world where somebody actually uh experiences joy through yelling so that, that right. that's pretty much as soon as i get to the point with like, it's like okay maybe mr dursley maybe maybe Vern isn't the best yeah i know um so even even before that i want to like the the very first sentence that really stood out to me as i'm reading through it is it reads when Mr. and Mrs. Dursley woke up on the dull gray Tuesday our story starts, there was nothing about the cloudy sky outside to suggest the strange and mysterious things would soon be happening all over the country. Which, I like the sentence so much because it, this is the one where it says where the dull gray Tuesday our story starts. Like, us, we, the audience, we're all going together. Right. Like, we, you, you, the reader, are not referenced again as far as I know. Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I, I don't know any other occasion where, where the narrator references yeah. you in any capacity. So but that I'll, is a unique use of the word hour. That is, that is a unique use of the word hour right here. But I also think it's funny because I just looked it up because the day in question is November 1st, 1981. That's right. the, the Potters are attacked on October 31st, 1981 when Harry is a one-year-old. So it's says it's a dull gray Tuesday morning and November uh, 1st, 1991 is actually a Sunday. So it's just like right away, like that's just not the right, right day of the week. And you totally could have looked that up and I don't know why it's wrong, but the fact that it's wrong, you wouldn't think it's like, yeah, whatever. Just pick. And there, I feel like the, the, to me, the reason Tuesday is chosen is because it's the most boring day of the week. It's like, like Monday is of course a terrible day because it's, you know, you have to go back to work, but Tuesday is not even halfway through the work, you know, 
at least Monday has the honor of being the start of the week. Tuesday is still the front half of the week and boring. Like, no, no, no. So I think that's why that day in particular was chosen, but it's just the wrong, it's just not what day it was. <laughs> I, I know, yeah, which, which feels like one of those things that would have been easy enough to to adjust yeah. up. But we'll, we'll, of course, see more of that in the future. Uh, I know, I think we referenced this in episode zero just a little bit, but um, sort of like, uh, obviously, eventually, as they're headed to uh, Hogwarts on the Hogwarts Express each year in September, it's usually, not even usually, it is always September 1st, which I think is also always a Sunday. Yeah, because um, they always get there for the feast, and then the next morning is always Monday and the first day of classes. Right, and it's, it's like kind of like one of those, like, like you know what, yeah. it's, it's easier than, than trying to trying to figure out how to have anything yeah. else, and there's, there is something kind of like glorious and happy and exciting about like the the like September 1st being more of like a, like a fixture rather than like a rotating. Yeah. You know, like something of. they have to deal with. Like, you know, wizards don't have to deal with calendars. Of course, like we just operate, we, we make our own days. Exactly. But like the fact that they get the, the, the day is wrong actually comes into play like three paragraphs later where we're introduced to the first magical character of the entire series, Professor Minerva McGonagall in cat form, yep. watching Privet Drive, um, and Mr. Dursley sees her as a cat reading a map, which, like, you don't think about it at the time, because when you're reading it the first time, you don't know that the cat is Professor McGonagall, and that the as a professor, she works at Hogwarts, and all of that nonsense, but... Um, as if you if you like scale it back, the fact of the matter is that it is it is described as being a Tuesday, November first. So this is well into the start of the school year, and it's just a Tuesday, <laughs> and um, McGonagall is just. <laughs> Skipping, skipping school. Skipping school. Just skipping class. Like she should be teaching on this day. What's she doing? Um, and I know it's it's really what I think. What I love so much about this this tiny mistake is that it's like you might think, well, sure, but Voldemort just fell the night before, so clearly, like everyone was given the day off. Like that's why there's a holiday, and yet that cannot be true because McGonagall is there to confirm the fact that Voldemort fell with. Dumbledore. So if even if like someone at the school was the one giving her the day off under the belief that this had been true, that person would still have been Dumbledore because he's her boss. Right, so, right, right. So yep, she wouldn't yep. need to come to the house for confirmation from Dumbledore um, if she'd been given the day off because of the occasion. Um, so I just, I, I think that's really funny. That. No, it, I mean, and, and it is like one of the, the age old questions that we have going on here as well is, is simply like that the attack happens on Halloween night. So October 31st, um, this is of course like the entire next day that McGonagall is now present and sitting on the wall mm -hmm. and watching over the Dursleys and trying to get confirmation that what they believe to be true is in fact true. And then of course it is not until that evening, I believe at midnight, yeah. um, when Hagrid ultimately delivers, uh, Harry to the Dursleys front, front doorstep. Right, so it's like, where was he all day? Yeah. So, so Hagrid's missing day is, is sort of like one of these, these grand mysteries that yeah. sort of like it, you know, isn't isn't totally resolved. I mean, I, I suppose that there's there's something to be said for the fact that we know um, uh, eventually in the story, diving way 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 down the line, that Dumbledore does invoke some ancient magic in order to provide, um, you know, the the protection that Harry has at the Dursleys' yeah. home, thanks in part to Petunia's relationship to Lily, um, and therefore, like Voldemort cannot touch uh, Harry while he is there. So yeah. it, it is entirely possible that, that what is happening here is, is a grand amount of instruction on the part of Dumbledore, you know, who first went to Hagrid and assigned him this mission and told him to essentially tend to Harry for, for one whole day. 
uh, while he was able to go through and do all of Dumbledore type things, which is which is essentially like seeing between the lines. Like, he, like yeah. what Dumbledore knows is that like Voldemort is not gone for good, and he knows right, right away. He knows right away because he's already aware of the prophecy and stuff like that. So he's like already setting up for Voldemort's return, like as of this night already. Yes, he's yes. ready for it. But there's like there continues to be little things like this that like don't add up because when Dumbledore eventually does arrive later that day, um, like he talks to McGonagall and. Uh, he confirms with her that, oh, it must have been Hagrid who told you I'd be here later on. And it's like, when? When did Hagrid tell McGonagall that he was coming to this address? Because McGonagall, when she sees Harry, it's clearly the first time she's seen him. And it's like, but Hagrid goes and gets Harry immediately and presumably has him the entire time. So when did Hagrid run into McGonagall and then McGonagall leaves to go meet up with Hagrid later. <laughs> like, you know, it's like that, <laughs> you know, Jay, the, the, I mean, these are, these are the really complicated questions. I mean, uh, on that note, as long, as long as you want to like, you know, split hairs, the weatherman who's, who's speaking in this particular chapter. Jim McGuffin. Yeah. J Jim McGuffin, <laughs> of course. Good trivia for you. Yeah. Um, also does claim that while he can't uh, ensure something, he is sure that it will be a wet evening. I don't know about that, but it's not the, it's not only the owls that have been acting oddly lately today. Let's see here. They have been, uh, let's see here. They've had a downpour of shooting stars. Perhaps people have been celebrating bonfire night early. It's not until next week, folks, but I can promise a wet night tonight. There we go. I got there eventually. Also um, wrong. <laughs> also wrong because it's like there's no mention whatsoever of a, of a light drizzle happening yeah. as as McGonagall and Dumbledore and Hagrid are, right. are leaving baby Harry, who otherwise apparently is in the rain on the front <laughs> know, doorstep right? Other, all night. I know. It's, it's possible it starts raining later in the night, like one or two in the morning, which means they leave him out in the Raid, which is also not great uh, for them. But uh, before they even get there, let's see. There's a few other things that happened during the day. Oh, bonfire night. This is like a, a, a an American versus like European thing. Like we don't have bonfire night. We we do not have bonfire night not, yet. So this is, is yeah, yeah. It's not something that registered, but it's a reference to Guy Fox. To Guy Fox and like um, if you ever see like V for Vendetta, it's like remember, remember the fifth of November, which actually would be the next week because it is November 1st as he's saying that. Yes, yep, yeah. of course. Yep. So and, that and, is accurate. Right, and and uh, Fox, Guy Fox is in fact where um, Fox the Phoenix gets his gets yes. his name from. Yes, uh, so is that, that same person. Other little fun uh, tidbit there. I also love that um, while Vernon is out at work during this day, uh, this is one of the things that you maybe like skips by you when you're just listening on the audio, but like he overhears someone whispering about the Potters and they're like, yeah, their son, Harry. And he's like, he's never even met his met nephew. He wasn't even sure his, his nephew was named Harry. Could be Harvey or Harold or something. And I'm like, I love that one of the names he tries to reassure himself with is Harold, as if Harry isn't just a nickname for people named Harold. Yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> it's like we jokingly in office refer to him as Harold Potter all, all the, time, the time. Yeah, as if we're just using like his long form, his long form name there. Yep. Uh, yep. No, I think that's that's another great one. Although interestingly, um, there is the line about how um, the Dursleys had never met their nephew before, which is something that actually does hold up to the continuity pretty well, uh, because at this point in time, the Potters would be um, in hiding. Because That's the, true. The, the prophecy does take place prior uh, to the birth of, of both Harry and Neville, the, the two people that the prophecy could in fact refer to. Um, Although, now that you mention it, doesn't Lily in her letter to Sirius mention like a vase or something that came from Petunia? Yes, the, that is in fact a thing. Right. So, and they're in hiding at that point? Well, somehow, some way, Petunia must have had 
special, well, well, special well, well, well. circumstances. Well, or or well, otherwise, well. maybe Petunia is best friends with Peter Pettigrew, <laughs> <laughs> which somehow seems possible. Because well, he's dating Pierce Polkus's mom, right? Yeah, yeah naturally. Yeah. yeah. We, we have an entire we rap have a whole about, theory how, about that. Yeah, about how, how Peter Pettigrew possibly has a child and it is uh, one of Dudley's friends. Uh, Piers Polkis. Yep. Um, well, that we'll we'll come back to that here. I think in the next couple of chapters as well. Um, other other really cool moments that we do have inside of this chapter are, of course, uh, the line from Dumbledore where he says, "I would trust Hagrid with my life." Oh, yep. Um, this is this is like one of those things where I think it establishes very early on in the story the fact that um, Dumbledore does not practice some of the same prejudices that you may expect within the Wizarding world, even though at this point in time. Um, uh, we don't know that much about Hagrid at all. Um, no, we don't. Other than that, uh, McGonagall is like, she seems to be less trustful of Hagrid in this moment. Yes, yes. And and this is this is kind of like one of those interesting things where um, the, the trust that Dumbledore does bestow on on Hagrid is, is kind of interesting and also... Um, you know, it, it could be argued unexplained, um, you know, as the, the Fantastic Beast series was coming out and uh, Beasts were so at the forefront and center of the conversation. Yeah. And, and we knew that at some point in time in that saga, we would we would cross over into when Hagrid would have had his time, um, you know, of course, at school. Mm -hmm. we, we kept operating under the belief that at some point in time, Hagrid is going to have to show up and be relevant to, you know, to to how uh, Gellert Grindelwald. Oh, is yeah, you think defeated. so. And and we never we, we don't ever we don't ever get you know that ultimate explanation. Yeah, because um, the the final duel between Dumbledore and Grindelwald happens in 1945, and by that point, Tom Riddle has been expelled or has unleashed the Basilisk in the Chamber of Secrets. And Hagrid and has, Hagrid has, has been, expelled. been expelled. So yeah. at some point, like Hagrid has already been like um, at least relevant a relevant student to Dumbledore at that point. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, and, and because he's good with Beast and he immediately hires him back, you'd think he had to have shown up in the Fantastic Beast movies. Yes, yeah, yeah absolutely. So what, what our, our, our standing theory there is as to why Dumbledore has always had such trust in Hagrid is that Hagrid must have done something so, um, like that, that showed such support uh, for, for the man himself that Dumbledore was like, if if he supported me, then he will support me always, and and I will I will have the undying faith in this person in yeah. that, in that regard. Um, however, again, that's all speculation because we we never actually get a, a full blown explanation for no, it. We do not. Um, but I do love that it, it establishes very early, sort of like what Dumbledore's position is going to be. Uh, you know, kind of kind of all throughout that does that does remain true. Um, the other really amazing uh, kind of piece that you and I both have have observed and loved about this particular chapter is the prominence of of three characters in particular, all of whom play absolutely vital roles um, to Harry during his sort of like like you know formative years, uh, which is of course Rubeus Hagrid, Albus Dumbledore, and mention of Sirius Black. There is, yeah, which is really interesting because um, I think those are the, th it sounds like those are the first three people Harry has contact with after the attack. It is, right? yeah, yeah. So um, Sirius shows up, he's got, yeah, so the Potters are attacked, Sirius shows up to the house, and he's holding Harry. That's when Hagrid shows up and says, give him to me. And then 
Hagrid has him presumably all day, apparently talks to McGonagall at some point and tells him he's going to prove a drive that night. Apparently. <laughs> but apparently, who knows? Um, but then later, Hagrid hands him directly to Dumbledore. So it goes from Sirius to Hagrid to Dumbledore, which is, it is so, this is, this is like one of the craziest details ever. But um, a couple of years ago, Ben and I got invited out to uh, London to visit the um, the British Library where they had this history of magic exhibit yes. on display and it had just like all of like the history behind all of the things you hear about in the wizarding world and by far the coolest thing they had there was this thing called the Ripley scroll which was this like like 23 foot long scroll it's right a, yeah it's like a massive piece of like parchment yeah. that is like beautifully like uh, illustrated and is essentially or or, or supposedly the actual formula in order to create uh, the Philosopher's Stone, right. like, like the real <laughs> thing. So um, not to get too far ahead in, in our story here, but Nicholas Flamel is a is a actual real-life human being who lived, I think, in the 14 or 1500s uh, and had supposedly, uh, and of course unconfirmed, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, created or, or sought to create the, uh, the Philosopher's Stone. The Philosopher's Stone, which can turn metals into gold and gives you the elixir of life. Yes, and... Yeah. And one of the most remarkable elements, you know, just to, to bring us back to uh, Hagrid, Sirius, and uh, Dumbledore here, is that like the the final like three ingredients uh, visible on the actual Ripley scroll, scroll. Again, this is not like a this is not like manufactured for the Wizarding World. This is yeah, a this real is, historical artifact, right? Of, um, of people trying to actually practice alchemy and literally create the Philosopher's Stone, right? And and so the last three ingredients are are uh, visualized as a red orb a black orb, and a white orb that come together to create what you ultimately have is the Philosopher's Stone. Right. And what is unbelievable about this, and the moment that we saw it, I mean, like, you and I both, are, our jaws just kind of, like, hit the floor because we're like, wait, Rubeus means red. Yeah, and Albus, Albus means white. And Sirius Black, black. Uh, gives you gives you those three stones. Those three men are arguably the, the closest to surrogate father figures for Harry, uh, and and they're the ones who you know through his life kind of forge him into the the man that he becomes, uh, which right. which sort of brings you to this argument that like Harry Harry who ultimately will eventually become master of death is is sort of equating to the elixir of life, uh, and Harry who is so frequently throughout the story embodied by the color gold, right? Um, you know it's it's like it's like these these three people come together the the red black and white to create the Philosopher's Stone, which is Harry. Right. So it's like, it's called the Philosopher's Stone. And there's a physical object in the book called the Philosopher's Stone, but Harry is the Philosopher's Stone. Yes. Like it, it's so easy to just like the Philosopher's Stone ends up sort of just being like a, a, a MacGuffin by the end of the story. It's like, it doesn't come into play anymore, but it's like, that's because it's not really about the stone. It's because Harry himself is about the stone. Not only is he constantly represented by the color gold, like when they make the Polyjuice Potion for Harry later on, it turns gold. His wand shoots golden fire. He chases the golden snitch. Um, but the other half of it is 
that it gives you the elixir of life so that you can't die. And Harry literally comes back from the dead. Yeah. So and, it's like, and is in fact master. It's of like, death, it's yeah. like really, it's set up right from the beginning, especially if you know about the Ripley scroll that like he's attacked and then boom, right away, red, black, white are the first three people who physically touch him. Yes. And it's like, it's, that's crazy that it's set up so perfectly like that. Uh, and it's like, and, and it's just cool because like, this is like the, you know, Hagrid just mentions like, Oh, got enough young, serious black. And it's like, Oh yeah, that's just some off page character. Probably don't need to worry about him. It's right. Like, right. Oh, wait yeah. a minute. <laughs> like that, that I think is the number one detail. When you reread the books again, after you've read it the first time, you're like, <gasps> it's like, no way. Cause I mean, that's, that's the thing. Like, you know, now, now at this point in time, I suspect that if you're listening to this podcast, you two have, have combed through these books over and over and over again. And, and maybe have, have law, like, you know, every time you, see it exactly what it means but like when when we were kids reading through this for the very first time like Sirius Black didn't remain in the back of my mind for years, oh, and, yeah. years and years so like no. when you hear his name again in Prisoner of Azkaban it's not like you're you're not like being like oh, oh yeah. like the one with the motorbike like, like not at all you know you've long forgotten at that point it's been three years oh yeah since you've it's, read those words that was the page I mean it, it'd be the same as trying to remember Daedalus Diggle who also gets a name drop here in the first chapter yes he sure yeah. does yeah we, we eventually <laughs> go on to learn is in fact, uh, you know, of course, a member of um, the Order of the Phoenix yeah. and will eventually be the one to escort the Dursleys uh, to to safety. Yeah, so that's kind of, it's funny that he gets mentioned so early. What's funny about that is that McGonagall thinks it's Daedalus Diggle who's doing the shooting stars down in Kent. He never had much sense or whatever. Oh, yeah, right. What I think right. is so funny about that is she's telling Dumbledore about this and like McGonagall surprisingly was not a member of the First Order of the Phoenix. It is surprising. In, in yeah. the first Wizarding War, but she was. Daedalus Diggle was. Right. So she's like sitting here like telling Dumbledore like oh, probably Daedalus Diggle. Meanwhile, Dumbledore's like, I'm the leader of a secret society fighting Voldemort and that's one of my members. So, <laughs> <laughs> so let me tell you, Minerva, why weren't you in class today? <laughs> Someone playing hooky? Someone playing hooky? Were they playing cat? Were they? Through the Gryffindor is supported by Pear Eyewear. Y'all, I am so excited for our upcoming Through the Gryffin tour. It is going to be such a good time but as ever when you're going to be spending time in front of people you want to be looking your darned best and let me tell you what pear eyewear has arrived just in the nick of time like honestly i was immediately blown away with my new frame so let me let me walk you through exactly what they do so starting at just 60 dollars, including your prescription you can get your base frames which are like sleek modern and stylish but that is really just the start because from there you get to fully customize each frame all of your looks by simply snapping on the top frames and they actually have an entire collection of harry potter frames so like for the upcoming tour i was so pumped because like oh my gosh i've got to find some super cool slytherin frames that i can like wear but then as i was clicking around i've been watching uh, x-men 97 which is like so good and they actually had x-men frames as well and then i may the fourth is coming up or maybe by the time you're listening it's already passed but like they have a huge collection of over 20 star wars frames as well so i i had a very hard time narrowing and i ended up getting two i got the x-men ones and i got some slytherin ones so many different like fandom frames you can choose from i never thought to accessorize my glasses with fandom stuff but now you can and it's so easy to change between them like they have little magnets on them so you can just slap a uh, different 
frame onto the front of your glasses and then easily switch it out. I've been doing it all day. It's so fun. And before you commit to anything, you can explore all the different possibilities with their virtual try-on. But again, the base frames for men, women, or kids. I think, honestly, kids would love this because you can just switch them out and they're so fun looking. They all start at $60. One pair, infinite possibilities. Go to PairEyewear.com and use code GRIFFIN for 15% off your first pair and support the show by mentioning that Through the Gryffindor sent you in your post-checkout survey. That's P-A-I-R-Eyewear.com, code GRIFFIN. Through the Gryffindor is sponsored by Rosetta Stone. Y'all, I've got to say, I love international travel. I don't know if there's anything that opens your eyes and mind more to different walks of life than immersing yourself inside of new ones. But one hesitation I always have about going somewhere new is how to best navigate the differing languages. But that's where Rosetta Stone can help. Because for me, it's not just about like the fear of getting lost, although to be fair, it's not not a concern either. But to me, the immersion goes so much further than simply being somewhere else, I want to engage with and respect the locale by communicating in their tongue, not my own. And that's what's so great about Rosetta Stone. They provide 25 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, and more. And they use such an intuitive approach designed for you to pick up the language naturally, so you're really learning to speak, listen, and the one I always find the most fascinating, think in a new language. And what's even better is that when you sign up, it's for life. Yeah, a lifetime membership, because let's face it, we can only travel to so many new places, but so fast, but with all the time in the world, you can be ready for any adventures ahead. Don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Through the Gryffindor listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off your unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. There's also, man, there, McGonagall, I feel like, definitely goes through a big transformation. Um... The, the more you get to know her. I do love that the very one of the very first things she does is, as a cat, gives Uncle Vernon a stern look. And it's like, classic McGonagall. Classic. Classic yeah. McGonagall. Um, but then, like, it it is surprising to me as you go on that she's a little bit superior about um, being a wizard versus the muggles. Like, at one point, she's like, well, they're not completely stupid. <laughs> it's like, well... Yeah, we know that. Certainly muggles aren't completely stupid. Yes, right? yeah, like, yeah. No, this is this is like, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where um, it, it is very interesting just to see like the, the various differences between the, um, you know, like the, the magical philosophy versus the, the non-magical philosophy. Uh, and, and of course, we will we will eventually come to learn again in the story that it's it's not like muggles are the ones exclusively known for um, maybe spoiling their their children. I mean. Dudley and eventually, you know, who will who will meet as as the character of Draco Malfoy are oh, are, yeah. are not terribly dissimilar, 
you know, in their in their upbringing and their their air of superiority over others. Yeah, for sure. So you know, I mean, that's that's like it's like McGonagall maybe needs to you know she she could maybe check it a little bit. She could maybe <laughs> check it a little bit. There's also like a funny uh, line here I thought where. Uh, when Dumbledore shows up and he's like, I should have known. Uh, and that's him looking up and seeing McGonagall sitting as a cat at Privet Drive all day. Right. And he's like, and she transforms and she says, how did you know it was me, Albus? And it's like, what, like, I, like, in, this is one of those things where it's like suffering from like pilot episode-itis or whatever. It, it is, it because is, it's like, yeah. like, in hindsight, like, there's, first of all, no way that Dumbledore doesn't know McGonagall is an animagus that can turn into a cat and doesn't know exactly what she looks like. And there's no way McGonagall doesn't know that Dumbledore knows what she looks like because this is her trick during the first class of literally every year. Like, even when Harry and Ron are unimpressed by it or whatever, like, she says, that's the first time my class has not been impressed by this, su suggesting... She does it every year. Yeah. And yeah, we yeah. learned that she's a registered animagus. So it's like, of course he knows she's a cat and knows exactly what she looks like. So like what, what, this it's what, it's like a, that line does not age well. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it, it, it doesn't, but I, I think that the, the great, um, like forgiveness is exactly what you're saying. It's sort of like that pilot episode sort of like, like situation where it's like, you need to do some exposition along the way. You need to sort of like introduce the readers a little bit to what kinds of magic magic uh, is, is possible, what types of objects you might see, like what these characters are like, how they behave. Because, I mean, similarly, you know, we also have, you know, Dumbledore, of course, pulling out the very famous, uh, you know, putter outer or put outer. The put outer. Yeah, I do yeah. think it's funny that it's called the put outer here and later gets renamed to the way better deluminator. Deluminator, yeah. yeah. That, and I mean, we, uh, same same exact thing, you know, we'll see in Prisoner of Azkaban is eventually the reference to the, um, you know, the, the guards of Azkaban. Oh, yeah. Um, versus dementors dementors yeah. you know it's like as, as soon as they've been referred to as dementors once as soon as our characters have learned that name once it's like well from now on they're just dementors yeah, and like, like, the but dementors. it's like why, why doesn't everybody re refer to them as dementors up until this why why have they always been the azkaban guards and yeah and, and i i think like those are those are bits of forgiveness that i that I'll, i don't struggle with at all because it's sort of just like okay like we're we're kind of getting the wheels in motion here uh and, oh, and yeah. for the most part you know it's not like it's not like we never see mcgonagall as an animagus again it's it's just sort of like dumbledore absolutely knows dumbledore absolutely yeah. knows yeah i it, it is i think it's just funny the little things that like stand out like that like even even the fact that like as vernon's going to work that day there's people like already celebrating in the streets like voldemort's down hooray amazing and it's like like there's all these rumors immediately flying about the potters and how harry toppled him or whatever and it's like i the how could there be rumors already? <laughs> you know, that, that part baffles me as well because like the Fidelius charm breaks and then Sirius is there and then Hagrid's there. And then that's like, you know, what, what would have happened that would have alerted everyone else and tuned them into the fact that it was Harry that stopped Voldemort like right away. Well, we've got, we've got the Sirius Black's attack on Peter Pettigrew. There is that. In, in a fairly public way. That happens in a fairly public way, but this is happening. Like there's the stuff's happening, like as Vernon's driving to work. And like, I think that happens in broad daylight is what it said. This is a good point. Well, yeah. the, the other thing I think we can certainly have happening is like, you know, Godric's hollow will eventually learn is, um, is a is a neighborhood so named for a Godric Gryffindor, of course, but um, is both a Muggle and Wizard occupied 
yeah. town. Mm-hmm. And of course, is where <gasps> the Potters lived. The Fidelia's charm is, of course, protecting their location. We know that the backfiring of Vada Kedavra's spell is what will uh, break down the Fidelia's charm and, and reveal the Potter's location to you know, the outside world, which is then how, you know, Sirius is able to go and enter uh, the, the fray and, and find baby Harry still alive inside of the house, mm-hmm. uh, how Hagrid could also go and collect him. Because, gosh, is there anything sadder than a world where Harry backfires spells and then nobody can can find him? Oh, I know, to, right, yeah. the Fidelia's charm. Like, that's that's horrifying to think about. Um, and and so the only other thing I can imagine is, is like, possibly once the Fidelia's charm is broken, then people who had known that the Potters had lived there, who had forgotten per the Fidelius charm, are now aware of their presence and the, the otherwise loud explosion and, and, oh, yeah, and, and sure. took to the streets, you know, because, yeah. um, you know, similarly, I mean, I, somehow Sirius Black must have been informed. Some, somebody must have known to, to, to contact him well, as well. Right? I think he, no, Sirius, like, went to... Um, he hadn't heard from Peter in a while and he went to go check on him and he saw that Peter had like abandoned his home or whatever. And as soon as he saw that, he was like, uh oh, okay. And then he went to go check on the potters and that's when he found Harry. And that's when he found Harry. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, So there you go. There you go. There's Um, that. I suppose the other thing that's possible is that Voldemort, um, has a bunch of people under the imperious curse. And after he like falls, like they would all be released True. And they could maybe come to their senses about it. So that could, I guess, give away that Voldemort was gone. And then maybe could people, yeah, I guess people could start piecing it together. Like, oh my God, the Potters. Oh, th- we know where the Potters are. And people started being released from the curse. Right, right. And that's a curious one as well, where, it, where it'd be interesting if you've been under the Imperius curse for such a long period of time, it's possible the last, the last actual memory you have would be being placed under it yeah sure um and and therefore you know you might be like oh my gosh like what is going on what has like where have i been what have i been doing this Mm -hmm. whole time so yeah there there are certainly some things that would happen that we'll learn about later in the story that that could have unfold or been undone uh and and again otherwise you know i think it's just sort of one of those like if you want to look at um petunia as the example so she's somebody who who stands there and as a muggle is effectively like you know doing the whole like grapevine sort of gossip over the hedge, you know, yeah. t- type of thing. And and this is sort of like the wizards almost doing the exact same thing, which which is just rumor flying right, like yeah. mad, all you over know, the place, and, yeah. and, and quickly mm-hmm. uh, in such a big way. So um, all all very interesting. Another another piece of it is the fact that, you know, McGonagall refers to the fact that it's been um, 11 years, or I think Dumbledore says it's been 11 years since they've had anything to to celebrate. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so of course, like everybody wants to. This is another one of those kind of like interesting things as we learn more about the overall narrative of the story and in the rough timeline like um i believe that tom riddle graduates from hogwarts in the early 1940s and we know that at that point in time he will eventually be you know hunting horcruxes and doing his whole thing to kind of become immortal right and everything but 11 years prior would be like 1970 Right. Yeah, eleven years prior would be nineteen seventy. So there, there has always been this kind of large and unusual <laughs> swath of time from I, I think the late nineteen fifties when we last see Tom Riddle doing anything um, up until like it's like there's like a fifteen year gap where where it's like he must have been like much more underground, like, like planning right. a lot a more lot of stuff. Um, because yeah. yeah, there's a huge gap of time. Cause like he unleashes the basilisk before he even graduates school. 
So that's when he makes the diary Horcrux. And then we know that immediately upon graduating, he pretty quickly acquires the diadem and the cup yep. as Horcruxes. And then he, oh, and the locket, sorry. The, the yeah. locket, yeah, it's the, the locket in the in the cup, which he yeah. gets from... Um, Hepzibah. Hepzibah, Hepzibah Smith. Smith. Of course, yeah. Hepzibah and then Smith. I guess maybe he talked to the great lady in early, while he was at school and found the diadem yes. that way. Um, and then what else was he still missing then? The ring he took from Morphin. Yep. Right? The, the ring he has before oh, yeah, yeah. graduating school because he's wearing school. it in Slughorns. So like possibly he's just spending the rest of the time looking for like the sword or, or anything of Gryffindor's, you'd think? Right, yeah. yeah. In, in our long theory for, for a very long period of time, this is this is one of my all-time favorites, is that he um, we, we eventually will learn as well that uh, Molly Weasley... Uh, her her um, surname originally was uh, before marriage was Pruitt. Yes, and she had two brothers, Fabian and Gideon, where, where you'll eventually get the F and G that become Fred, Fred and George. George. Um, and and eventually, I believe Harry receives for his seventeenth birthday from um, Mrs. Weasley the the signature gift of the golden watch from that was Fabian's. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we know that like, we, we've got these members of the original order of the Phoenix. We know that Lily and James themselves, uh, as well as Neville's parents have thrice defied the dark Lord. So we know that, that they were attacking Gryffindor based, uh, wizards right. th- throughout this whole era of time. And, and it may be the case that Voldemort had learned the legend that the sort of Gryffindor will present itself to a Gryffindor in need. Right. And therefore like that, that was like, he's pummeling these, these wizards in the name of attempting to get the, the sword to appear to one of them, right. uh, which we can only assume he had successfully done and and basically was using this last final piece to to essentially immortalize himself, you know, by way of his seven Horcruxes, uh, and entering the the Potter's home, and was yeah. was intending to um, create his final Horcrux with the death of of the boy who was mentioned in the prophecy. Right, because like that's the other thing is Dumbledore eventually tells Harry he's positive Dumbledore that Voldemort was going to use Harry's death to make the final Horcrux. Yes, and it's, so it's like so. To that end, he must have had the, ho- the the item with him when he went. And the clear thing he's missing is a relic of Gryffindors, yep. which, like, and you're right, the 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 Pruitts were killed by um, Death Eaters, yep. like, in a big struggle. And they would have been true Gryffindors who potentially the sword could have presented itself to. They could have recovered the sword, given it to Voldemort. There's also, like, this weird time gap where you know that Wormtail is the secret keeper and a mole. So like, there's no reason he almost shouldn't immediately tell Voldemort, but then they're clearly in hiding for more than like a day. So it's like, they're in the hiding for like months, right? you know? So it's like, why does he take so long to finally go and attack the Potters? And it's like, cause he doesn't have the sword yet yes. or something of Gryffindor. So yeah, it, it feels like there is, there is a lot lighting up for like Voldemort finally got the sword and was going to turn it into a Horcrux and then, um, obviously the entire plan failed. And then of course the reason the sword's not there is because one of the sword's tricks is that it disappears. Yes. <laughs> so, yep, yep. so there it is. Um, and then it's like, we also know the sword does not have to appear via the sorting hat. Like that's how Neville and Harry get to it. But like Snape just puts it in the pond and that's a totally acceptable way for it to have been presented to, I guess, Ron in that situation. Yeah. yeah. Th- this is one of those big questions where, where it's like the sentience of the sword itself is questionable because it, it, it seems as though uh, from the moment that Harry 
takes it from the hat, you know, in, in year two, it just resides in the, in the headmaster's office up until the, the time that Snape basically like leaves it, leaves yeah. it for them in that instance. There, there is the really fun fact, I, and, and this is like, I have no idea whether or not it was intentional, but it's glorious either way. But the fact that the sword presents itself through the sorting hat is, is like the sorting hat, the, yeah. the <laughs> sorting hat, the sorting hat, the sorting hat. Yeah. Like it's like, Oh, like, Oh my gosh. And of course the sorting hat, uh, being the other viable option of an artifact of Godric Gryffindor's, yeah. um, that, that could have been used. However, I, I suspect the reason that the sorting hat wouldn't have been a great candidate for this final Horcrux is uh due to the fact that it's it's like a being missing would be um, might might invite seekers so yeah, to speak for you know sure. it's it's like a lot of these other artifacts yeah, are if you are, uncover the sword of gryffindor like no one's even going to know exactly yeah, yeah right yes exactly because nobody nobody otherwise really you know similar to the diadem of ravenclaw it's like nobody really knows where it is so right. um but anyway i mean as as far as th- those things are concerned i mean the lost diadem of ravenclaw has been gone for literal like like centuries almost a millennium um whereas you know the sort of like so if anything it seems like the diadem is still harder to get i know um so i i, lo- I love the idea that that voldemort was was walking into the potters that that night although with the only thing the only thing that i could imagine being so unbelievably cool although it changed the entire story is an unarmed lily uh being in the room basically like like defending her son no matter what having an instance where the sword just like appears in her hand or something oh, and wow. then she's like lily standing there with the sword of gryffindor against voldemort would be i mean that, the, the epic scene crazy. in my head it's like it's like we could do an entire what if where what if the sword of gryffindor presented itself to to lily, <laughs> to, to lily yeah. in that she moment just slashes him down and right she just there. wins yeah that's right just right it there. no this, no other story yeah that's either. it that's it end of game right there voldemort i guess it wouldn't have the basilisk venom yet so this is another one it's like the sword of gryffindor must have like other magical properties inside of it that like Harry and Hermione and Dumbledore never like activate or even aware of, you know, like, Oh, is the Basilisk Venom the first time it ever absorbed something that made it stronger? Like that doesn't seem right. No, it doesn't seem likely at all. And and so I, I suspect that if we ever learn more, more history of that sort, we'll learn a lot more of what that thing had. Oh, I know. I so badly want there to be a founder series where you just get to see Gryffindor out there, like wielding the sword and doing his thing. It it would be so cool. It would be so cool. Hamming it up with old Sal. Right. (laughs) (laughs) The best of buds. The best of buds. Uh, I can just, you just imagine Helga and Rowena who are there just rolling their eyes like they left again didn't they they're going okay Should did he bring help? the sword he bring the sword i'll get the cup <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like, what does the cup do what does the cup do <laughs> i know it turns water to wine we I think know. we know that much <laughs> that would be the fun part about the founders is that they like until like the very like last the end of the show the four of them are just best buds you know, like they're actual friends. Yes. And it's like, and I mean, obviously there's a big crack at the end and that's tragic or whatever, but for the majority of the show, they're all just chums. Right. Like you love their friendship. <laughs> like you yeah, love that. That has yeah. to be it. That has to be it. It does. It um, does. Someday, someday we'll get it. Someday, someday will be a founder series, and that I can't wait. That's that's the number one thing miss, that I want from Harry Potter. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, well, Jay, I think to to kind of close out uh, today's today's episode, I think um, you know there there's a couple of other like little tidbits that I w- that I would love to touch on. Okay, absolutely. Um, I think I think one of the big things um, that I that I I reflected on a lot as I was reading you know, this, this first chapter, especially like, you know, hard copy as, as we're saying, like, you know, kind 
of going through and, and like feeling the pages, seeing the words on, you know, like, like in text and everything. I mean, it does, it does bring me back. And I was reminiscing a lot on, on kind of exactly what we said, you know, reading it, uh, our, our dad reading it to us when we were kids. Um, you know, I think the other big one is there's, there's this one line in particular that I think, uh, like hit me so hard because since, since, you know, reading these pages for the first time as a young kid, um, we, we, both now have our own kids, you know, mm-hmm. kids of our own. Uh, I've got my my daughter Addison, and you've got your your three boys. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Got my own troublesome twins, Nick and Nate, and then my eldest son Luke. Yep. Yeah. Um, but the the line the line that got me was the uh, one small hand closed on the letter beside him. Oh. Um, and and this is just like one of those things where it's like you know I I, I mean you know my like Addie's coming up on being two as of recording this, and you know it, it's like it is one of those things like you know where a lot of times I'll put her to bed and I'll pull her up on the monitor i'll see her like you know holding on to like her her like little um like kind of rectangle of fabric that yeah. she calls her oh no but um you know it's like that thought of, of like seeing this like small child clutching on to you know this this letter that's mm-hmm. going to be so impactful for the rest of its life uh, rest of his life you know it's just just very emotional you know it's like oh my gosh like the poor kid you know, he's, I mean, he's just, he's just uh-huh. lost he's everything. Just a little and boy. He has no idea. Yeah. And, and he's about to be left <laughs> with just, just, just the worst people. And they're going to lie to him about what happened for the next 10 years. Yes. Yeah. Just, yeah. just really, I mean, it's, it's like, I think my, you know, my heart goes out to, to baby Harry, uh, so hard. So that was just what I wrote in the margin next to that one was just tears, you know, oh. cause I think I was just, just very, very emotional moment. I know it changes when you get older. <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah. A big, a big perspective shift when you're, when you're now looking at it through the lens of, of parenthood. Um, and then, and of course the last one, you know, one of, one of my favorite things I think is, you know, the, the clever naming of, of the chapter is, is simply the boy who lived. Um, but, but ultimately there, there's a small, a small modification that, that you can make to that phrase that, that sort of sums up the whole series from, from the very beginning, which is, which is changing the word from lived to loved. And it's, it's Harry Potter, the boy who loved. Mm. And, and eventually what we will, what we'll see unfold with, with this character, with, you know, uh, with the story is that this is, this is really the defining characteristic that Harry is capable of that is secret weapon. Yes. and, 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 you know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you, you see it be so difficult for Dumbledore to ingrain this message into, into Harry. And, and, you know, I think at some point in time, uh, like Harry says like, yeah, I can love, you know, big deal. I had to hold myself from saying, yeah, big deal. Um, but, but it is just, it is really like a remarkable thing. And, and, and I've always loved that, you know, that it's like that, the, 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 you're literally one letter off from, yeah, the boy who loved. Yeah. Like, and I, I almost feel like it would have made for a, fantastic final chapter name like if the story had started oh, changed with the boy, with the who, boy lived. who loved yeah. yeah yeah i mean you almost could have called the last chapter or the chapter where like i think it's called the forest or something the forest uh, again the forest again that one could have been called the boy who lived like also yes that's you know, true you could yeah. just done it again it would have been or that's amazing. what it could have been i guess you could have called king's cross the boy who lived or something i don't know you even could have just done the last the very last chapter could have it could have a book ended the whole thing that's true that would have yeah. been kind of funny king's cross is a pretty appropriate title name i think for that chapter but we're way off that one i know yeah we got a ways yeah. to go we got a ways to go so uh but anyway do you, do you uh have any other closing thoughts how did you feel uh kind of coming through this this first chapter of our saga oh i mean i i, I loved it this chapter is so fun i mean it sets up so many things so well you get introduced to like so many big characters um 
I like there's other tiny little things I think are funny that like um, at the end Dumbledore um, you know he apparates off the spot and then like McGonagall turns back into a cat and slinks off and it's like what why why didn't you just apparate too that was that, <laughs> that doesn't make sense it's <laughs> like why did you right, so you go back to school yeah I know yeah, yeah, I'll he see, says I'll, like, I think he even says that he says I'll see you soon. <laughs> Right, like, yeah. you mean tomorrow at class, right? Like, like, right, like literally immediately. Immediately, when we, when we arrive outside we're of going Hogwarts. to the same place, all right. three of us, because we all work there together. Right, right. Yeah, uh, I think that's pretty funny. Then Hagrid flies off on the motorbike, and it's like, what happened to the motorbike? You know, it's just gone for you know seven books, and then it shows up again. It shows back up. Yeah, it's the uh, thing that delivers them there. It's the thing that will eventually take them away from there. Yeah, I think that's funny. Um, let's that, that is no mistake in my mind. I think eventually, when it comes to the uh, the the inevitable removal of Harry, you know, from from the Dursleys, the fact that he he entered and exited in on the, the same motorbike, yeah, yeah that's, with the same person, with the same yeah. person, like that's on purpose. That's absolutely yeah. on purpose. That's a that's another great bookend. I think there is a fun chapter. This like fast forwards the Chamber of Secrets a little bit. There's a chapter. There's a paragraph here where uh, Dumbledore is explaining why it's um, important that Harry grow away, grow up away from being famous he says it would be enough to turn any boy's head famous before he can walk and talk famous or something he won't even remember can't you see how much better off he'll be growing up far away from all that until he's ready to take it and it's like that paragraph right there explains exactly if you don't realize it is why Dumbledore hires Lockhart in Chamber of Secrets because this is what Harry could have been yes <laughs> if yeah. he had like grown up maybe um somewhere besides the Dursleys doesn't mean the Dursleys was a great choice um it says he says it's the best place for him and it's like you really if you want to like unpack that sentence when he's saying the best place he doesn't mean it's the nicest place for him he means it's the literal safest place because Voldemort actually cannot get to him there yes yeah. absolutely and, and you know I think that this is again probably where Dumbledore because we we know um, eventually when, when Dumbledore does go and speak to the Dursleys again, uh, face to face, it, he, he does sort of mention that like, you know, when I left him on your doorstep all those years ago, I, I really hope that you would, you would like love him and treat him as your own son. And I see that you've clearly not done that. Right. Um, you know, and, and I think he, he makes a, a little remark about Dudley there. He's like, I can only be grateful that you haven't, you know, caused as much damage to Harry as you have to the boy <laughs> sitting between you two. <laughs> I know, I know. They both look like. Someone here besides Dudley, I'm not seeing him. <laughs> you mean Dud Dudley's been treated Dudley's great? Been treated great. It's like, has he? Yeah. In your, uh, well. But but it, it's a good point though, and I think that there's a lot to to take away from from that because I actually highlighted that exact same um, uh, that same sentiment, and and I I didn't actually write down the Lockhart, but I I, I wrote down they did after all know James, um, and and I think that there's a piece of that like you know James is not for nothing, but uh, like a, a a you know pretty cocky, arrogant kid i mean he he has his own kind of like bullying tendencies mm -hmm. like um you know there's there's certain characteristics about him that uh like you know it, it seems as though like like they always say like you know harry looks just like uh his his father except he got his mother's eyes and and it seems like also his mother's you know demeanor yeah along the way um, you know, which is, which is something to kind of see like interesting, be like a prevailing characteristic, you know, sort of through, through Harry, uh, despite maybe the, the Quidditch prowess, we will eventually see him also exhibit. Yeah, also has that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, but we, we did do, uh, one of my, one of my more, uh, favorite things that we've ever written for, for our super Carlin brothers YouTube channel was, um, I think it was what if Harry, uh, what if, um, Sirius had raised Harry. Oh um, yes, you know, and instead, and or um, it was it was really what if Neville was the chosen one? That is exactly yeah. it. So what if Neville was the chosen one? In which case, um, 
what you would end up with is a, is a scenario where where Sirius is the one who raises uh, Harry, and it was one of my favorite uh, versions of Harry that we've that we've ever concocted because yeah. he he sort of has some of the the like jocular nature of James, but he, but he's also got like that prevailing kindness but but then also harry has like been raised by a very competent wizard for his right. whole life so, so it's he's like, kind of got like a little bit more, like way more skill and knowledge of the wizarding world he's sort of the ron to neville like in, in that version neville has been basically successfully hidden by the fidelius charm until he's going to hogwarts yes so he has been shielded from the wizarding world almost entirely in the same way harry usually is but his best friend ends up being harry so harry's sort of the ron to neville's Harry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Except, except, you know, like, like, but Harry's also got like the, the skill. Yeah. But Harry's of, way yeah. more capable yeah. because it turns out when he's raised by Sirius, he's just teaching him all sorts of stuff and breaking the rules all the time. So it, it was a blast. It was yeah. A blast. That one's yeah, a really so. good version. So if you want to check that out, yeah. What if Neville was the chosen one? There you go. Um, I, I mentioned that we would, we would uh, address the chapter art. So I love the chapter art in the books. I feel like that like formed the first pictures of like what I thought the characters looked like when we were growing up. So what do you think the boy who lived chapter art chapter one it's just um harry sitting in a bundle of blankets underneath the stars i think it's beautiful yeah yeah i really love it you can see his little tiny scar there there is yeah you can see the little scar um i mean again you know because it goes back to that comment that i made but i mean it just makes me so mad it makes me so sad for for such a little uh you know like innocent child who who just basically like had had so much you know, uh, like kindness and, and promise and love all around him and to, you know, sort of be, be stripped of that. And, and, and I think like in this way, like when I look at this image, you know, it does, it does make me so much more aware. Like, of course, like as Harry will get older, he'll be surrounded by his, his like, you know, dear friends. And I mean, Ron and, um, Hermione and, and the rest of the Weasleys and, and Ginny and the rest, I mean, they are his family, but like, it, it does make you realize when you think about it, just from this, like this little boy who had to grow up you know, for, for 10 years, uh, essentially completely isolated and, and, uh, mistreated by the people that he's with. And then the whole saga that he has to, to, to go on, you know, I mean, it, it does make you just feel like how, how alone he was in some ways. Yeah. Um, so I, I know that's, that's probably like expanding beyond the, uh, <laughs> the, the image of a little boy wrapped up in blankets here a little bit, but, um, I am glad to see that the stars are visible above him and it has not yet started raining. Well, other than that, um, I think the only other thing I had, um, written down here is like you mentioned, you, uh, was the one line that I felt like really stood out to me. It's like, you always talk about Harry Potter, the boy who lived and it's not like a really, um, you know, it's like, it's a common phrase, but I feel like when you end the first chapter, just the final line with people toasting to, uh, to Harry Potter, the boy who lived, like I was like, I get chills. Oh, I know. Um, yeah. yeah. Yep. I mean, and it's, it's like the, um, the, the symbol that Harry, you know, kind of becomes to the wizarding world is, um, you know, I, I mean, in a lot of ways it's, it's the expectations that he'll, as an individual eventually face, which is like nobody can live up to the symbol that that has been created around him for, mm-hmm. for this defeat of someone who is, who has caused so much darkness in this world. And, you know, against all odds, somehow, some way Harry does, Yeah, you know, it's literally like, lives up. Yeah. Live, <laughs> like, live, lives up, dies a little bit and lives some more. Lives again. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. I mean, it's just, uh, I don't know. It makes me so excited for, you know, the, the rest of the saga to come. I'm, I was really excited about just like, you know, one of the things that, 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 
does blow my mind about this story is how much happens inside of one single chapter. Like I, I often think like you, you almost could have had, um, uh, like a prologue that, that tells you about the Dursleys a little bit and then have chapter one, the boy who lived in, and pretty much start with McGonagall and Dumbledore's exchange on, on private drive yeah, there. Like just start with yeah, like Hagrid arriving or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, Especially because it feels like that's that's sort of like when when the the part of the story you care the most about truly begins. It's like yeah, the, the magic. Yeah. yeah, it's like if anything, it's like can we get past the Dursleys just as soon as seemingly possible? I, know. I mean, I, I would like less time with them. I know. What's interesting to me is that you, that like there's not like there's not zero magic in here. There's no wand magic just yet. That I think the very first magic you ever see in the whole series is the Deluminator doing its thing. Other right. than, of course, McGonagall being right. transformed. Yeah, you see McGonagall as a transformed cat. But I guess when, you, I guess when you're when you introduced to it, you maybe don't know that yet. So okay, yeah. I guess, yeah, yeah either, either you could count it as McGonagall or the Deluminator. And then, of course, she transforms. And then there's that. And there's the flying motorbike as well. Right, yeah. So yeah. lots of stuff there. Lots of stuff there. Yeah. Other little fun fact. I just discovered this today, actually. I did not know this. But... Um, Privet Drive, I always assumed was supposed to be a little bit of a play on the word private. Oh. Um, and I, I had not, I, maybe, maybe you knew this, I didn't. Uh, privet is a kind of hedge. Oh. And I think that they are typically hedges that are, in fact, That's used uh, like in suburban neighborhoods to kind of um, be barriers between your home and your neighbors. Oh. Um, so it, That's it, funny. It, it is, I did not realize. I always thought it was private drive. Yeah. Because I yeah. Like, like to be private. Oh, actually, on that note, so these are these are two things I misheard as a child. So I, I actually thought that was private drive. I didn't like the word private as a um, you know probably nine year old didn't register to me as meaning anything at all. The other was, of course, Dad was reading it to us, and I always heard uh, Albus Dumbledore's name as Elvis. Elvis. <laughs> so uh, in my mind, I literally always assumed that I, I for some reason, I, I very quickly embodied um, uh, Dumbledore with it with a sort of like like very musical Very musical <laughs> like rocking of rock and roll you know? yeah, yeah yeah kind of vibe so um <laughs> I, I think i even remember getting like like i think i was talking to you actually and it's probably would have been one of those those first moments where our our age difference or your just better memory than mine uh came up but but i remember saying like like well like didn't elvis say something and you're like elvis and it was like <laughs> the headmaster and yeah. you were like it's albus and i was like it is not. Where's the book? Yeah. And it was like, we went and picked it up and I was like, it's like literally it's like one of those moments where I was like, someone changed someone it. Someone changed it, man. Certainly. Mandala effect or whatever. Yeah. This is a, uh, another little tiny thing like that. This is just a funny change from like um, the, the UK version of the book to the American one. It is the first word Dudley or the new word that Dudley learned that day. In the American version, it's won't. But if you go to the UK version, it's shan't. Oh, that's awesome. Shant. Shant, do it. Shant. Shant. Amazing. I love the idea of a little baby just be like, Shant. Shant. <laughs> it's especially funny because I always think that, um, like, you know, like in, in all the, the various languages across the world and stuff like that, very, very frequently, not always, you know, it seems like the word for, for like, you know, we say mom and dad, but like, are, are some variation of, of something similar to like mama, papa, like yeah. those, those types of words. Um, and I, I sometimes like wonder whether or not like it's, it's small children's, uh, early development of speech that actually is the, like, uh, like etymology behind 
those words. Oh, probably. Which, which you know, in the, in the event, you know, I've heard my own daughter say won't before or, or, or no. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it makes me wonder if, if the word shan't is actually created um, in, in part by uh by by toddler speak you know oh, yeah. uh, you know it's could it's, be yeah right you know, a word a word created by youngins that that the rest of us continue to use the rest of our lives so that's funny i did not realize that that was different in in the different narratives uh in in speaking of dudley uh looking forward to chapter two uh which will be our next episode the vanishing, the glass. vanishing glass um the the chapter art is as oh, soon as you turn over is a, a very prominent photo of of little dudders there, there surrounded by his uh his many many peasants <laughs> Thirty-six. <laughs> counted them myself. Oh man! So um, as ever, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to the very first episode of Through the Gryffindor. Um, as this is our oh, this is our opening weekend, we will have our first three chapters all delivered yes. to you here on October first, twenty twenty-three. Uh, henceforth, uh, after this week, though, we will be going chapter by chapter with one new episode every Sunday each week. Uh, so be sure to uh, you know subscribe and tune in and, and do all the various things. The uh, show should be available wherever pods are cast. Uh, and until next time, we shall see you through the Gryffindor. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.